0: On R2C2, CeCe Sabathia and Ryan Rucco guide listeners through everything going on in the MLB, NBA, and NFL. They also talk to friends, athletes, and celebrities about the world of sports and much more. Check out R2C2 with CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The MLB season is in full swing and you can step up to the plate with FanDuel. America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filtered by odds, sport, and bet type, to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, bet the live same-game parlays for every MLB game and track your game and bets live with box scores and play-by-play. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies' splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah. A toast to breakfast. Coming up on New York, New York. Whoo! I think a whole lot of Met fans need a nice long walk after that ballgame. A win is a win, but my goodness, Edwin Diaz? Heart attack city. And not in the John Jastrzemski circle of trust. It was a great weekend for the Yankees, and we got a ton of draft stuff as we recap the 2021 NFL draft. We'll have Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus. We'll have BYU head coach Kalani Sitake with the insider look on Zach Wilson. Ton of listener voicemails. Fun game in the NBA with the Nets and the Bucks. They actually played. What a concept. All that more. It's New York, New York, coming up next. All righty, let's roll, baby. It is episode 13. That's right. Episode 13 of New York, New York with me. yes, truly, John Zyszczewski, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. And quite a doozy in store for you folks because it ends up being a late night for me and all y'all because the New York Metropolitans wanted to make you sweat it out in cringeworthy fashion in the bottom half of the ninth inning in their game down in the city of brotherly love against the Philadelphia Phillies. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I can't get over what transpired in the final two innings of that game. And you were thinking from a Mets standpoint, the Mets down two runs when Dorf failing to come through in the clutch, Didi hitting a big three run Homer top of the eighth inning. This game had all the makings of bad lackluster met loss where the impact of "quote unquote" Donny Stevenson—don't uh, get me started on in- that inside joke—but was not going to be living up to par, living up to the standard. But then the Mets go and give you six unanswered runs, going into the bottom of the eighth inning, and I'm like, okay, four-run lead, Mets should be putting the feet up, relaxing, and thinking about winning this series. And when Diaz comes in the bottom half of the ninth inning, and look. Edwin Diaz so far this year has been very, very good. However, this is exactly the sort of game that I will point to and that many other Mets fans will point to in establishing why he will never be a part of the circle of trust. So I don't want to hear about Diaz's back. And I don't want to hear about the manager putting him in a non-safe situation. Be better. You want to be in a circle of trust? Be better. Edwin Diaz gave you way too many of those performances two years ago. It looked like Edwin Diaz was on the verge of a total meltdown and giving up the lead because watching it live, I thought the ball off of Reese Hoskins' bat was gone. It gets very, very quirky, as we know, at Citizens Bank Park. It's got to hit the seats. You remember A-Rod's ball in the 2009 World Series off the camera well? It's very, very quirky out in right field. For me, I thought the ball hit a seat, watching it live. They went through a bunch of different, you know, replay angles and whatnot hit off a railing. Instead of it being a game-tying home run, it ends up being a double. And thankfully, Luis Rojas decided, all right, I got to get Edwin Diaz out of the game. And he turns to Familia. And hey, Familia deserves some props because game on the line, your closer implodes, and he finds a way to strike out Bryce Harper. That's impressive pitching. Now, Diaz coming into this game... After, you know, pitching on Saturday, a little surprised, a little surprised, thought this had hideous loss written all over it for the Mets. Take it, run with it, but Diaz cannot continue to have these sort of games, folks. He just can't. If the Mets are going to be a division-winning team, if they're going to be a championship caliber team, you can't. Get this from your closer. Where you know in the back of your mind this can happen at any moment. I don't trust Diaz. His stuff is electric. He's throwing 99-100. Wipeout slider. I get it. I don't trust Edwin Diaz. Even with the Mets winning this game. I asked the Mets fan this simple question. You're playing a big game against Atlanta. You're playing a big game against the Cardinals this week. You're playing a big game against the Los Angeles Dodgers. You feel particularly confident with Edwin Diaz going through these particular lineups? I don't. I I, I just don't. Gotta tell like it is. Because even on nights when he goes and dominates, you have these thoughts going through the back of your mind. Oh, no. Holy shit. Here we go again. This was one of those, holy shit, here we go again, Diaz moments. The Mets found a way to win. Taking a run. That'd be my biggest advice here. Taking a run. Good at bats in the top half of the eighth inning. Alonzo giving you some much-needed relief, which was absolutely necessary. And I'm sure Mets fans loved every minute of getting the last laugh on Alvarado, who acted like a total clown the other day in striking out Dominic Smith. For the Mets after Friday, they lost a game in which basically they didn't give up a run in a legitimate way and held the Phillies to, you know, nothing after the fact and lost that game because a ball got by somebody on, you know, what, a strikeout or give or take, or it should have been a strike. It ends up being two runs, whatever the play was. Forget it. It was wacky. Super, super wacky, but it led to two runs. You lose that game and you find a way to pull Saturday out of the fire. And you hold on for deal life on Sunday, take it and get to St. Louis. But this Diaz question, it's legitimate. I don't want to hear it poo pooed from Mets fans. It is legitimate. Can you trust him in big time situations? And right now, my answer remains the same: No, I cannot. Then you get to the Yankees. If only the Yankees could play the Detroit Tigers every single game this year. This was a nice feed up relaxing kind of weekend. They pounded the Tigers on Friday. Cole was absolutely electric. Judge gets it going with the bat. And Aaron Judge had a couple of great games. Great game Friday night with all the home runs. A couple of big hits on Saturday. And folks, he's one of the best players in baseball when he could be on the field. When Aaron Judge plays, he produces. So it's been fun watching Aaron Judge remind everyone of what kind of player he can be. It's also nice to see Gleyber Torres come to life and look like the Gleyber Torres we saw throughout 2019. I'll tell you another storyline that is starting to really come to the forefront from a Yankee standpoint. Garrett Cole worked brilliantly with Kyle Higashioka. Someday. After what was a very rough start to his Yankee tenure, Corey Cooper now in back-to-back starts has been brilliant. He was terrific against the Orioles. He was even better on Sunday against the Tigers. Throwing eight shutout innings. Striking out a boatload of guys. Who was behind the plate for Corey Cooper? No shocker, no coincidence, Kyle Higashioka. Sanchez is not hitting. Higgy is hitting, and he's calling great games. He's got to play. I'm not saying he's the everyday catcher. For now, though, he's getting a majority of the refs. And if Gary Sanchez don't like it, perform better. It is a results-oriented business. And when you perform the way that Gary Sanchez did last year, you're owed absolutely nothing. Higgy right now is helping the Yankees win in more ways than Gary is. Point blank, and that was on full display this weekend. Higgy with the bat, Higgy with the glove, and Higgy working with starting pitchers. Even with the Yankee bullpen losing O'Day, lights out. Chapman unhittable. Laizagas look really good, and now the Yankees are back to five hundred. Okay, took them a month. It was a lousy month. You welcome in a terrible, rotten baseball team. You win three games in a row. Now it sets the stage for the team that you hate. Not the Red Sox, not the Rays, but the team you were obsessing over two years ago. The best way to get some sense of revenge is going and kicking their ass. And that, of course, is the Cheating Houston Astros Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday out at Yankee Stadium. You want revenge on the Astros? Can't get 17 back. You can't get 2019 back. Go kick their ass now. That's all you can do. I'm juiced up for this series. I will be out at Yankee Stadium on Tuesday night. It will be as raucous an environment as you can have for 10,000 fans. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a ton of fun. But all in all, a very, very good weekend for the Yankees. Terrific weekend. So you had all that going on with the baseball. And we're tying up some loose ends on the NFL draft. And look, to say on May 1st, May 2nd, whatever, that you know this team knocked it out of the park with their draft class or that team knocked it out of the park with their draft class. You could think that. But it's not a given. From a Jets standpoint, though, here's what I like. They have surrounded their young quarterback with talent. Offensive talent. And the surprised to me in the second round, and I was thrilled hearing this, that they found their way to get Elijah Moore I never in a million years thought that Elijah Moore was going to be sitting there for them in the second round. That's exactly the sort of weapon I want to add to my offense. They had Carter, the running back, speedster. They add a speedy wide receiver. They go and sign Davis from Tennessee in the offseason. This is how you surround a young quarterback with talent. Now he's got to make the most of it. You got to coach him up. The player's got to be able to handle a situation, but he should not be going into his first year in the league completely overwhelmed because he has crap around him. That to me is the great thing that Joe Douglas did in this draft. He surrounded his young quarterback with offensive firepower. Got him a lineman, got him a back, got him a receiver. You'll love to see that. Will it work? Who knows? But you'll love to see that. And from a Giants standpoint, you know what you love seeing? Dave Gettleman, not just in the first round, but Dave Gettleman in the second round trading back. Trading back. Giants couldn't get Devontae Smith. They go and pick up a first round pick. We'll see if Tony ends up being a keeper. We'll see if he ends up being a gimmicky type of wide receiver. Jury's out on that. But they got value in trading back. They also got value in trading back in the second round when the Miami Dolphins were desperate to go and get an offensive lineman. Giants moved back, get Ojolari out of Georgia. A pass sure a lot of people were saying was a potential landing spot for them with the 11th and the 12th pick. I mean, I was seeing Ojolari in some mock drafts going in the top half of the first round. So when I see stuff like that, I'm encouraged. It's make or break time for Daniel Jones. Make no mistake, that will be a narrative going into training camp. That'll be your narrative going into the start of the year. It's time for this quarterback to show he's going to be here for the next decade. And if he can't do it this year, the Giants should be in the marketplace to go and get a different quarterback. But all in all, their stubborn general manager showed a change of heart on draft day. And they are now well-positioned in the future with A whole lot of draft capital. And we'll see where it takes them next year. So a little bit of a surprise. Well, not really a surprise. We always get a voicemail now right out of the gate. But I'm surprised on what it's going to be. So, boys, fire away. What do we got?
2: Listen, John, John, JJ, whatever you call yourself, Nick, Providence. Look, stop with this optimism with the Jets, please, will you? I'm a Jets fan my whole life. The team has a permanent black cloud. I don't care who they draft. They're not going to be good. Wilson, Lawrence, they could get Mahomes, uh, the ghost of Joe Montana. They're going to suck. They're always going to suck. Stop trying to make me optimistic. I just want to be miserable. Smoke my cigar. That's it. I don't want to hear this optimism. Hey, look at the number two quarterbacks in the history. No number two quarterback has ever been good. Go back to Myra, uh, Leaf, Trubisky. Uh, where we go? Donovan McNabb is the only good one. Griffin, Mariota. Whoever gets trapped in number two is not good. The Jets are not going to be good. I don't want you to make me optimistic. I just want to be miserable. Uh, please I mean the Mets can't figure out you've got to score runs to win games or well, what is that? I think more you go see that Godzilla King Kong movie. that sucks. aren't bad I, I, I got my kids playing Spongebob 24 hours a day. I'm going nuts with that I want to listen to your podcast and relax and instead you are trying to make me optimistic I don't want to be optimistic. I'm a Jets fan. We suck. We're always going to suck. That's enough with the hyphens. I love the ringer. I love Danny Hyphens, but it's enough bring back fantasy You know that ugly bastard was good on your show He's got a good podcast too about movies if you ever want to talk movies bring him back but listen, don't make me optimistic. Just let me be miserable. I've been miserable my whole life as a Jets fan. Don't try to make me optimistic. Wilson's not going to work out. Fields wouldn't have worked out if they drafted him. Lawrence wouldn't have worked out. See like a good guy, though. Good luck with your show, buddy. Thanks for the entertainment.
1: I appreciate that sentiment at the end of the call. A lot of negativity, though, right out of the gate. I mean, why bother watching? Why bother for the rest of your life? Don't watch any Jet games. Don't put the effort in Sunday at 1 o'clock. You got a new regime. You got a new coach. You got a new quarterback. I have no idea if it's going to work out. Are we going to add Zach Wilson to the list? Maybe. But you got to watch because that's what we do. Trust me, I've gone through plenty of bad Dolphin quarterbacks. I've been the tortured soul sucking myself into Chad Henney and Ryan Tannehill and now Tua. That's what we do as fans. Come on. I know your team has sucked a whole lot of life out of you. Got to find a little silver lining in life, right? It's too short. Even as a Jet fan, life's too short. We got a loaded show. Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus will tie a nice bow on the 2021 NFL Draft. We'll give you the insider scouting report. BYU head coach, Kohani Sitaki, give you all the ins and outs on Zach Wilson. We got a lot more to listen to voicemails, a lot more to do. It is New York, New York.
0: Get it all rolling right after this. Loaded draft. So much to get to. Let's
1: welcome in the lead draft analyst. That's a wonderful term, by the way. Lead draft analyst for Pro Football Focus, Mike Renner. Mike,
3: there are a whole lot of ANSI, Jet, and Giant fans awaiting your grade. How are you good, sir? I'm doing great. And I actually gave that title to myself. So I'm a fan. Hey, of it as well. I, I'm,
1: there's nothing wrong with a self-appointed title. You take a self-appointed title, you run with it.
3: It sounds good. So that's Basically the most important thing, dude. Yeah, I mean, that's, I was crafting it for a while, and then I just asked for it. And there you go. And now you will
1: not disappoint. So when you were doing all of the research and the prep work going into this draft, was it clear cut for you with Zach Wilson as far as being the number
3: two quarterback on the big board? To me, it was um, in terms of just his 2020 tape. It, It was better than Trevor Lawrence's. It was the best of any quarterback in the country. Now, Lawrence has the three years of doing it, but if we had seen that guy for just a longer period of time against better defenses, I mean, it wouldn't have been crazy to draft Wilson over Lawrence. It's just the unknown with Wilson is kind of the biggest thing. Didn't see him against a lot of pressure. Didn't see him against, you know, top-tier college football defenses, and I think that's kind of the only scary part about him. But, like, game in, game out this past year, there were not a lot of holes to sort of poke in his tape.
1: Do you have a comp for Zach Wilson and watching him in college? I know you probably get these all the time and you're sick and tired of it, but I think for a lot of Jeff fans, Mike, listen, it's not like fields where they watch them a ton at Ohio yeah. State or Lawrence where you watch them a ton at Clemson. It's a little different when you're playing at BYU. That's why I've been kind of trying to get a sense, trying to get a feel when it comes to Zach, at least.
3: So what's what's in the draft guide? And it's not going to sound great, but it's a more athletic Baker Mayfield. And that's kind of hey,
1: you get Baker Mayfield. There's nothing wrong with that, as far as I'm concerned. He's yeah. got
3: swagger. He's got balls. So he could play my, quarterback
1: for my team any day in a week.
3: And, and honestly, one of Baker Mayfield's biggest sort of cons is that when he breaks the pocket, like he doesn't make a lot of plays outside the pocket. But Wilson's kind of the opposite. And I think that's the thing: is that inside the pocket, Baker, when he throws on rhythm, everything's great. Like he's actually down the football field. But then things break down, and he kind of you know freezes up. That's the difference between him and like why Wilson is like a more athletic version is because he can he's so nimble on his feet, can make plays not only in the running game, but also like outside the pocket on the move that is really kind of special in regards to just prospects. Usually
1: the last regime for the New York Jets did a deplorable job of putting offensive talent around a young quarterback. Well, now it's a totally different regime. It's a totally different quarterback. And I have no idea, Mike, if these picks are going to work out or they're not going to work out. But one thing we cannot uh, debate here is whether or not they invested in offense here in the first (laughs) couple rounds of this draft. Did you like the mentality and the philosophy overall
3: from Joe Douglas? Oh, I I love surrounding Zach Wilson with talent. I I think not only if you surround a young quarterback with a lot of talent, does it uh, obviously help your franchise. But I think we've seen... Like even if, if you make a court, young quarterback look good, they are more valuable if they then maybe turn back uh, like the Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz was surrounded by so much talent early on in his career at Philadelphia. that teams were still willing to give up, you know, a future first rounder for him, even when he was the worst quarterback in the NFL and things went bad. So I do think that from a team building strategy, build as much as you can offensively and then around your young quarterback and then address the defensive side of the ball. And I think that's a strategy you see the Jets employing uh second round were you surprised that Elijah Moore was sitting there for the Jets I was I-, I thought he was a surefire first rounder from his tape to me there's not a massive difference between him and Jalen Waddle like the difference between him and Jalen Waddle is just like a little athletic difference like in terms of just the route running ability hands play strength like th- he's right up there uh and is an explosive dude in his own right so to get that guy in the second round it's like my opinion, like I said, he was 22nd on the PFF draft board. He He's one of the steals of the draft, in my opinion.
1: Um, if you were giving the Jets a grade, if I'm in uh, your draft class, then I'm like hoping and praying the Jets are going to grade out well. Did they grade out well in your eyes?
3: They did. So I gave him an A. And honestly, the only thing keeping it from an A-plus was that they had to trade up to get Elijah Vera Tucker. And it's like the trade up, you gave up two third rounders. You could have gotten, we, we always emphasize, you know, Two offensive linemen were more valuable than one. They got one offensive line. They still have definite holes along that offensive line that are going to need to be patched. That could have been those third-rounders that they gave up to go get it. Uh, But the players they got, where they got them, like value, need, and and how good those guys are and how NFL-ready these guys are, Elijah Vera Tucker, Elijah Moore, and Michael Carter, like those guys are impact day one starters, and that's rare to hit three of those. Outside Can game. you
1: believe, by the way, that we are living in a world where Dave Gettleman actually traded back to you? Think, do you think it was the pressure from guys like me yelling and screaming about it and plenty of other folks where Dave's like, yeah, I, I'm going to show you, JJ. I'm going to show <laughs> you, Numbnuts. I'm going to go and trade down for the first time ever in my life. Were you like totally taken aback by that on Thursday?
3: I was. And honestly, so they've actually started building their analytics staff a little bit more. And I think they may have gotten in his ear. And kind of said, hey, you know, this year's class, there's not a lot of tape on these guys. And I think like that can convince like the unknown in this year is more so than ever. So they collected more 2022 picks than any team in this draft. The Giants did. And I think that's kind of a thing that we would say analytically is a good thing. And also Dave Gettleman, old school scout, would say, yeah, I want more tape on these guys than what I got this year. I want more future picks. And so, yeah, I was surprised. But I do think that it was kind of. Something you might see going forward now. Dave Gettleman, a, you know, the Tiger may have changed his stripes. How about that? Now, I give you one or two options, and you're running the New York Giants. What would you have preferred?
1: The yeah. situation, the way it played out on Thursday, or some way, somehow, you end up with Devontae Smith. What would have been a better scenario in your eyes, Mike, for the
3: Giants? I, I think the value, the trade value they got is exceptional. Uh, now, the player they picked, Kadaris Tony. I would have rather gone Elijah Moore there if on them. Um, just in terms of, I think, what they're looking for. I think they're looking for a number two type of wide receiver. And to me, Kadarius Tony is just not that. But with getting a future first rounder from the Bears, who may not be good is the other thing. Like, they, they, they may be starting Andy Dalton. Justin Fields may not be ready day one. Maybe starting Andy Dalton, as we saw, that could net you a top 10 pick. That's a move I'm more than willing to make. Like, one Devontae Smith is not worth like a Kadarius Tony or an Elijah Moore in a possible top 10 pick. Are
1: you concerned about Tony being too gimmicky a player and needing to be in like the perfect system in order to have success? Or is it as simple as speed kills in the NFL, he's going to have a home?
3: I, I am worried. And now if he goes to, say, Kansas City or if he went to San Francisco at number 20, I'd be like, home run, great pick. But he's going to Jason Garrett. Is the problem and Jason Garrett's sort of flexibility with players like Kadarius Tony has not been he's not been known for that. Let's just say so. Kadarius Tony, yes, like he needs a specific role. He, he, what he did at Florida was basically just run option routes over the middle of the field all day long, where he got to make you know the slot cornerback or a linebacker wrong by going either inside or out on his route, and he just thrived on those and. and that's kind of, not to say that's not a role in the NFL, but that's a limited role. That's not your number two wide receiver is not doing that in the NFL. He's, he never really ran routes on the outside and had to separate. And that's kind of the worry with a guy like Kadarius Toney, but physically gifted as it gets for the wide receiver position.
1: How shocked were you second round? The Giants trade with the Miami Dolphins. Dolphins get the lineman they want from Notre Dame. And Ojalary from Georgia is still sitting there and they end up getting the guy they want. I mean, listen... I've been roasting Gettleman for years. Mike, I got to give credit where credit is due. Two instances here where he's able to trade down and I think get a pretty good player, all things considered.
3: Yeah, Ojolari in this draft, probably the best fit for what they do defensively, for the edge position there defensively, because they kind of use true three, four outside linebackers. Like, they'll drop guys into coverage. And Ojalari has the size, like, the under, being undersized is actually almost a bonus for that scheme because you're more nimble. Ojolari can play in space. I think that's a great fit for them. And he he fell because of combine knee, like combine rechecks, flagged a knee injury, some degenerative knee issue. That's the worry, I guess, with Ojalari. His knee may be a ticking time bomb, maybe like a Jadavian Clowney-esque situation where he has microfracture surgery or something. I'm not 100% privy to the details, but I do think that's why you get a player like that there. But if he does stay healthy, home run of a pick.
1: Giant crate. Are you giving it rave reviews like you did with the Jets or because they don't end up getting the more complete wide receiver that's knocking them down a peg? What do you have the giant grade after this draft?
3: Yeah, we knocked it down just a little bit just because the value of where they got, we saw it a little different. Um, And then the Ojolari pick, it's like, you you have to understand that he fell because of the knee injury. It's not just, oh, they took advantage of a guy who was slipping and getting passed on for some reason. So we have B plus, but I I will say that The trade value they got was exceptional. And this doesn't really factor in. This is just the players picked. And so next year, we're going to be sitting here and we're going to be like, a draft, two first rounders. Uh, I think they got, what, another third rounder from next year? I can't quite remember. But we're going to be saying, wow, all this talent they brought in because of the foundation that they laid in this year's draft.
1: Okay, Mike, what team had the best
3: draft in your eyes? One team. You got to pick one team right now and say they knocked it out of the park. Who's that team? I'm going to go, it's tough because there was a few that I felt like really could have game-changing type of drafts. I loved what the Dolphins did. I loved what the Chargers did. But the best draft, in my opinion, was Cleveland Browns, just in terms of the players they got, where they got them. They got two, 20, two top 20 players in the PFF draft board, and they were drafting at 26. You know That's fantastic value. Jeremiah Wusukoromoa was the biggest steal in my opinion of the entire second round i cannot believe he fell to pick 52 Uh, they obviously couldn't either because you know an analytically driven franchise traded up a bunch and gave up a lot of draft capital to go get that guy so they obviously had a high opinion of him as well and so they got one of the best coverage for my money the best coverage linebacker and the smoothest cover corner in this draft and they didn't have to use a top 10 pick like the two other teams we saw draft corners there early in the first round and they didn't have to give up too much for that linebacker so that's That's a sort of coverage-changing draft, what the Browns did.
1: Well, I saw your tweet earlier today, and it fired me up from a Dolphins standpoint. And I know you're giving the Brownies a ton of love, and you should. They were in the second round last year. I think they had a killer draft. You think Miami and the Chargers now have put themselves in a position with this draft where they can legitimately contend for a Super Bowl this year?
3: Oh, yeah. And so it obviously still depends on the quarterback's reach. You know, quarterbacks going into year two, what kind and of... And more league.
1: questions with my guy Tua than Herbert at this point. And <laughs> I got to be honest, Mike, last year, if we were having this conversation, I was banging a table for Tua. And listen, after one year right now, I'll own it. Herbert has looked like the better player, but I wonder if it's scheme. I wonder if it's coming back from the injury. And I'm still of the mindset, I think
3: is going to be fine, dude. I really do. I'm with you there. And that's why I said I think they're in Super Bowl contention is because coming back from about as catastrophic an injury as you can have at the position, uh, you know, a career threatening injury and then playing behind one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL and with a receiving core without any true separators. Now you have two true separators in that receiving core. You got Will Fuller and you got Jalen Waddell, probably the best single separator of any wide receiver in this draft class, including Devontae Smith. And so... He's going to have guys open. He's going to have a nice situation. Offensive line improved a little bit with that Eichenberg pick. And this defense was a championship caliber defense last year. Like it was a top three defense in the NFL. And they've only, in my opinion, added to it over the course of the offseason with Javon Holland as well and Jalen Phillips. Now, those are impact day one sort of guys. So I'm, I'm excited to see what they look like next year offensively and what Tua looks like. But again, it does hinge on Tua. It hinges on his development. They gave him a great situation now to develop. Now, does he take that next step?
1: Quarterbacks, Lance, Fields, Mac Jones.
3: Who do you have the most confidence in right now? Well, Lance with his landing spot. You because he ends up with Lynch and yes, Shanahan. I can understand yes. that. Yeah, and, and it's just like you, he, he needs some development. Like he coming from, coming from FCS football, only playing one year. Like he's going to be a bit of a project, but that's the ideal scenario with one of the better offensive lines in the NFL a loaded receiving group of playmakers and then an offensive coach who can make magic with Nick Mullins, you know, at quarterback. So I I do think that what the sort of situation he's walking into is rare for a number three overall pick guys. Like if you have the number three overall pick, it usually means you are a bad franchise and don't have a lot of talent, similar to like the jets who have to add all this around him. The 49ers don't, they have a nice situation in place. And now it's literally just, up to him, like the he was the boomer bus or quarterback prospect, not even 21 years old. The sky kind of is the limit for him there in San Francisco.
1: I found this out a few minutes before we started this conversation. This well-versed football savant was on the Bachelorette. You got? <laughs> I, I couldn't believe this. The guys told me a few minutes ago, they're going to be like, you know, I got a little dirty little secret for you, JJ. Mike Renner was a contestant on the Bachelorette. Explain that, dude. How did you get lumped into that?
3: Um, this was three years ago. And so this was 2018. Uh, I was just getting out of a relationship and I, I saw So actually it was fall of 2017 and I saw one of my buddies from Notre Dame. So I went to Notre Dame. I was back at a tailgate and he was telling me about how he was supposed to be on the season before, uh, but then he couldn't with work. And I'm like, can you get me on? And he's like, I don't know. I could probably put you in touch. And I'm like, shit, let's do it. Uh, and so I ended up getting on that season, that was season 14, uh, Becca's season, Only got two roses, but it was a, it was a weird experience. Hey, listen,
1: you didn't make the, you got past the first cut. That's. Oh yeah.
3: I was terrified that first night I didn't even talk to her and I was hammered and it was like 6am rolling around with the rose ceremony. I'm like, I'm going home. Like (laughs) like, I'm never, I'm never going to live this down. I came all the way out here, uh, told all my buddies that they're going to, I'm going to be back the next day. Thankfully was not, but yeah.
1: For any of these single gentlemen who are listening to this podcast right now, would you recommend the experience?
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just fun. Like, I just I did it for the hell of it. Uh, Do a lot of dumb stuff for the hell of it, though. But uh, I would recommend it. There's just don't take it too seriously is what I'd say.
1: Well, that's my life in a nutshell. Mike, (laughs) appreciate a couple of minutes, man. Good work. And I am hoping, by the way, that proclamation at the end of the draft comes through maybe in January. And when I'm walking around February in Los Angeles... Maybe my guys are in the Super Bowl for the first time in my lifetime. I'd like to I sound that. I think they'll at least
3: be in the playoffs. I really like the sound Dolphins. Sign me up for that moment. right
1: now. I will take that. I will take <laughs> that run. Dolphins playing a playoff game. I'm in, bro. Thank you so much for the time, okay?
3: For sure, JJ. Yep.
1: Great stuff. My main man, Mike Renner, over at Pro Football Focus with all the draft stuff. And we got a loaded show. There's a lot more to do. We'll have Coach Sataki from BYU who knows basically all the ins and outs about the new jet quarterback, Zach Wilson. We got listener voicemail. So much more. New York, New York, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network.
0: This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. Cold slurpy drinks on a hot summer day are a match made in heaven and your favorite refreshment just got even better. Let's talk about 7-Eleven's $1 small slurpy drink with seven rewards. It's the classic frozen fizzy treat you can't get anywhere else. I'm a blue raspberry guy. Just know that about me. Know that about me going forward anytime. There's a drink like this. I'm in on the blue raspberry. If you're feeling thirsty, feeling thirsty right now, how about going to visit a 7 Eleven, valid through 1725? 7 Eleven has the right to end this promotion early, plus tax, participating US stores, see app for full terms, all rights reserved.
1: All right, let's welcome in a guy who knows the newest jet quarterback probably as well as anybody, maybe outside of his parents. The head coach at BYU, Kalani Sitake. What's up, coach? How you doing?
4: What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me
1: on. Well, coach, my pleasure. You must feel like a proud papa when you're sitting there watching the Thursday night NFL draft proceedings. And the quarterback that you had over the last couple of years is the number two pick in the draft. That's got to be pretty cool, no?
4: Yeah, just a lot of fun. I mean, I, I you know, just to have um, our players and we we had a bunch of guys that, had five drafted, and we had uh, eight others have opportunities to sign free agent um, contracts. And so it's just good to see these young men uh, live out their dreams and, you know, take it take a shot at the next next level. And I think that, uh, you know, Zach's worked extremely hard, and, and he's he's really dedicated a lot of his time and sacrificed a lot of, a lot for this moment. And so just really happy for him and excited to see what he can do as a New York Jet. Coach, when was the
1: moment for you, maybe it was in the recruiting process, maybe it was during, you know, one of his games at BYU, when was the moment where you sat there and said to yourself, holy smokes, I got myself a real special player?
4: Well, we knew he was special um, when we were recruiting him. We got into it late, you know, but I've known him since he was a little kid. And uh, when I spent 10 years as an assistant at Utah, and his dad played at Utah. So his dad would always bring him and, a bunch of his uh, kids, his age over to the summer camps. And you just knew that he was something special at that young age. I mean, I don't know at what, what level, but when he uh, got into high school, you could, you just follow him. You see some of the things that he does and you see the accomplishments that he made on the football field, down the basketball court. And then, um, you know, when we came time to recruit him, just uh, thought that he would be something special, but it was when he first threw the ball in spring ball for us, he graduated early and then got to BYU um, midway through his, uh, senior year, he, he, uh, didn't, didn't play basketball and just went straight to football came to BYU. And, um, we just saw him in, in the practices that we had. Just, uh, he was making these amazing throws and there was just something special that you don't see very often. And, um, his athleticism was, it was a nice match as well. And it just made a lot of sense that he was going to be something special. And, you know, he put a little, a lot, a lot of hard work in, into it and started working on his craft. And focusing on the little details and how to make himself better. And that's from his true freshman year to his sophomore year to his junior year. Uh, he really, his trage- trajectory was re- was amazing. It was something special. And uh, the guy just kept, keeps getting better every day. Made some amazing throws. Made some amazing plays um, as a player here in the last three years. And But uh, as an example for our players, though, he was, he set the standard on how hard to work. That's the one thing I can tell you that really sticks out is that he just works extremely hard at being the best he possibly can. And uh, he's not afraid to learn. So that that's, it's hard to say goodbye to him. I wish I had him back for another year, but uh, I think he's, he's going to do some really good things in, in New York and looking forward to seeing him.
1: Coach, when you were talking him up in practice, when you were getting a look at him on the field, did he ever say to you, I want to be like this guy. I want to be like that guy. Like, was there a quarterback that he was trying to in some ways emulate at his time at BYU?
4: but he was, he was bothering. We just knew that he was watching a lot of quarterbacks. He was watching a lot of the NFL guys. And, and our video coordinator um, called me and said, Hey, you know, Zach keeps asking for all this film, NFL film. And this is during the offseason. And he's like, what do you want me to do? And I said, get it for him. You know, if the kid wants to watch film, get it so that he can watch it. And it doesn't matter what it is. But I mean, it, you're talking about anyone that plays the NFL. He's, he was watching that film. The guy's a football junkie. I don't think people realize that when kids, normal kids are relaxing, playing video games, this guy's watching football. That's what he does. And again, an easy example to give you is when we were, this is just in the month of March, our, our spring football, we had 15 practices and Zach would call me after, after the practices and say, Hey, you know, I saw this on film. I saw that. I'm like, Zach, what are you doing? You're watching, you're watching our practices. He's like, yeah, I just want to see how the guys are doing and see who's, you know how the quarterbacks are competing and that's something special i don't know if any of the other quarterbacks were looking at their alma mater's 15 practices from uh spring ball but well, that's what this guy was doing because that's his. that's what he likes to do on his downtime he likes to watch ball there's times that he would come and say hey i like this play that um that the chiefs did with patrick mahomes on the screen play i so i really like this play what do you think and our coach is like yeah let's put it in and then and we ran it against houston and then and we called it Chiefs because it's something that he saw on film and really liked, and and away we go, you know. So that's uh, the guy just wants to learn, wants to get better. And uh that's that's just a real treat to have when you're when you're a football coach.
1: Kalani, I get a sense that Zach is a kid that's got a whole lot of swagger and charisma that he brings to the table. And I think New York Jeff fans are absolutely gonna love that. He's got a big smile on his face, he seems like a very confident kid. Do you have any questions reservations whatever about him going from you know your campus like setting to the big bad big apple here in new york city you think zach wilson is new york made my
4: friend oh he's gonna be just fine he's gonna be fine and the the reason being is that the guy wants to play football this is what he's been waiting for i I almost feel like school and academics are just kind of in the way for him you know and now he can just be full-time football and and be a jet and he's fired up to go out there to to new york and and represent and he's just going to work hard i mean he has a lot of swagger and confidence but you you guys have to understand the hard work that he puts into it that just doesn't come from from the swagger and confidence doesn't come from just just deciding one day that you're going to wear a headband and try to look cool it comes from studying film knowing as much as you possibly can about your own position and then studying other other people's positions to make them better that's what this guy does. And so when you take the field, why wouldn't you have confidence with all the hard work that he puts into it? And, and, and we just allow him to be himself and have fun and don't, don't, don't be fooled by the, by the young, the, the, the baby face on him. The, the guy's an assassin. He knows how to get after it. And, uh, and that, I think that's what makes him special is people, they just don't expect it from them. But, but the guy is putting in the, the long hours and he, and he doesn't mind doing it. He, he's a football junkie. He loves football. He studies it, you know, and, and, and I think for us, it's just like, hey, on your downtime, what are you going to be doing? And I, he'll probably be watching his little brother's uh, film in high school and in college. I mean, that's just, he loves doing it. And to me, once he's done playing, he's going to be an amazing coach or, or whatever he wants to do. But I think football is going to be something that's always going to be uh, in his life.
1: What is the best characteristic on the field coach that he brings to a football team?
4: He's always willing to learn, always, um, regardless of the wins or losses. That kid gets better. He just gets better. He learns from the experiences, good or bad, and he tries to get better at everything that he does. And, and then, um, his sophomore year was—he um, had some injuries here and there, but he never stopped learning. Um, even though he wasn't able to play uh, some of the some of the games in that season, in the 2019 season, he was he was talking to coaches. He was. He was talking to our defensive coaches and trying to figure out how they, we coach the corners to play man-to-man defense, how we teach them to play our zone coverages. He wants to know the ins and outs of how that guy makes a break on the ball or where his eyes are fixed at. And he studies things like that. He studies the D-line and how they, how, he talks to our D-line coaches and find out how we space people in our twist games. He was doing this while he was unable to play. And then he goes and sits in the box and gets a good perspective from where the coaches are at. And I think that made him a lot better and understand where, where our point of view as a play caller for for our coaches and it allowed him to, to kind of have, have a, a even ground to see, okay, I, I was up there. I see from the box, from that point of view from the box and it helped him actually start, start to understand our coaches and the way we call our plays. I mean, the, the guy just does this on his own. It's a natural thing for him. We don't have to tell him to do it. He just does it, you know? And, 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 and then you see the result and the result is that he had three years in this program, and I wish he had a fourth, but the third year he blew up because he was healthy. He started to feel really, really comfortable with what was going on. His true freshman year, he was a freshman just out of high school. He didn't even feel to finish his high school season, his high school year. Skipped basketball, came straight to college. His sophomore year, he had some he was banged up a little bit, had injuries, came back and tried to finish strong, but wasn't, wasn't 100%. And then his junior year, he was finally healthy, and then he took off. And so uh, you know, I, I think I think you're going to always see improvement on him, and it's the fact that he he's always willing to learn and get better. I think that's something that's very valuable that a lot of people don't have the, the same perspective and and approach that he does.
1: Coach, I know a lot of these player comps are ridiculously unfair because we're talking about you know 22, 23 year old athletes, but in playing the position, do you have a Zach Wilson comp for me? If somebody that we watch Sunday after Sunday.
4: Hey, I, I don't like doing the comparisons either, but I, I can tell you that he, he, he belongs in the league. And then all those quarterbacks, the, the top quarterbacks that were getting selected, uh, all, all the quarterbacks in the NFL, they have something that's unique and special. And the common denominator is that there's, there's something you, uh, special about him. It probably has to do a lot with their work ethic and their ability to lead. I think he's got all the, all the makeup for it. Uh, I, I like what the Jets have done with the draft. I think they're building around his skill set. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I trust those coaches and GMs. And, and I think that the one thing that Zach will tell you is that he loves connecting with the fans and he loves to make the fans happy. And, and by making the fans happy, that's scoring a lot of points and, and uh, getting some wins. And, and that's, that's going to be on his mind. I, I've been with him a lot this week and, and he's so razor sharp focused on what he wants to get done. But I, I know he belongs in the league. I don't know how to compare him to anybody because I don't think that's really fair, but I know he belongs there.
1: Well, Coach, you know, Jeff fans been waiting a long time to have a quarterback. So I know you'll be pulling for him to be the quarterback for the next decade plus. Jeff fans pulling for him to be the quarterback for the next decade plus. But for you now, selfishly, last year was such an absolute mess with everything you guys had to go through, everything this country, quite frankly, had to go through as far as COVID is concerned. How nice is it for you, at least to some degree, some sense of normalcy now as you're going
4: through the spring, getting ready for next season? Yeah. I mean, the, the fact that we got to finish spring football last year, we only had five practices this year. We got through all 15. Um, you're starting to see that the ticket sales are starting to go up. We're starting to see that the NBA uh, starting to have more fans in the arena. And so, I, I mean, I think it's, 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 um looks like it's trending the right way. And um, you know, that was really difficult last year, but, but I was really proud of Zach and, and players on our team that, the amount of appreciation that they had just to play the game of football. And uh, it, it's the one thing the pandemic's taught us is, is uh, uh, that we took some things for granted and hopefully we we don't, we don't overlook those things again. And things like human contact and interaction conversations, eye to eye contact and all that stuff. And, and, and keeping it in uh, in, um, in mind, what, what's some, our main priority. And, and uh, I saw a team that was full of gratitude take the field led by a quarterback that, that had this high level of appreciation and, um, let's let's hope that we keep that humility. And keep this thing rolling.
1: Well said, Coach. Are you looking forward to coming to New York City for the first time? Maybe uh, once you have a little downtime, then maybe check out your quarterback.
4: Well, we've been up there already. We had our foundation that we did. We did some some uh, um, some service work in the area and uh, and, and specifically in Harlem. So we, Zach's already been out there before. We worked with some schools and some uh, little league, uh, organizations out that way. So. Uh, new York's not not that thing, not, not that new to us in the fact of the city, but uh, we, we're a, there's a lot more Jets fans uh, today than there were last week.
1: Well, Coach, I appreciate a couple of minutes, and I know you're pulling for this quarterback. I know you, New York City, in many ways is pulling for this quarterback, and I can't wait to see what he has in store. Uh, final thought: Zach Wilson, New York—they're getting a hard worker, and they're getting a winner. Is that fair to say?
4: Yeah, yeah. And then and they I'm telling you, he's gonna work harder than and a lot than, probably harder than a lot of people are used to. And uh, he he's right, he's in this the right element right now. You can see, you can sense it from him that he's just got this focus and he he wants what's best for the program or for the franchise and the fans. And um, you know, it was great being out in Cleveland. The, the the Jets fans represent out there, man. They were all over the place and you could hear the excitement in, in their in the fans. And uh, he, he does not want to disappoint, and I, I think he'll deliver.
1: Coach, appreciate a couple minutes, man. Continued success. Hopefully, we can do this again soon, all right?
4: Appreciate the time. Thank
1: you. They have it. That's Kalani Sitaki, the outstanding head coach over at BYU and the head coach of current Jets starting quarterback, Zach Wilson. Voicemails coming up. Big weekend ahead. It's New York, New York right here on The Ringer Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas' presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a
0: butter blade? Boulder dash, Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies' splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. <laughs> Thomas's Huzzah! A
1: toast to breakfast. It's always a pleasure when you can have the head coach of a particular college player on the show try to get the ins and outs. So listen, I understand Coach Sataki is not exactly going to you know, throw his guy under the bus, but the idea that he's got some charisma, the idea that Zach Wilson's going to be a hard worker, I think that is exactly what you want to hear if you're a New York Jet fan, knowing that he has to embrace this sort of burden that has been on the franchise for the last, I don't know, 40 to 45 years, trying to find that stud quarterback been searching since the days of Joe Willie Namath. Now, basketball front today. I can't believe I'm actually saying what a concept, what a delight it was to sit down this afternoon and watch two of the best players in all basketball, basically go mano y mano going at one another. I even had my fair share of skepticism going into Bucks nets because I was like, well, how much are we going to see Kevin Durant? How much are we going to see Kyrie Irving? All these teams who might, maybe in about a month, month and a half, go at it in a potential playoff series. How much effort are they going to give you? Well, we got a terrific showdown with Brooklyn and Milwaukee. Terrific showdown. And Giannis was awesome. KD was awesome. The Nets end up losing this game. And, you know, you think about the grand scheme of things, matching up playoffs, people are going to overreact to a game that's played at the beginning of May that's in the later portion of the regular season. Nets had a couple of looks to end this game. KD missed the chance to tie it. Kyrie had a chance late, missed. The Nets still will play in this game without James Harden. And here's what I know about the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't trust them come playoff time. I don't believe in them come playoff time. Until I see the Milwaukee Bucks a team that has fallen on their face in back-to-back years in the playoffs, go through an Eastern Conference, there's not a chance in hell I'm going to pick them. Now, some are going to say, well, JJ, the Nets haven't had everybody all year. The Nets don't play high-quality defense. Giannis, to his credit, on Sunday was able to go off and light them up. All true. I have more confidence in the core players the Nets are going to run out there than I do in the guys that Milwaukee is going to run out there. All right, Giannis gave you 49 today. Amazing. Is he going to be able to do that come playoff time? Is he going to have the confidence from beyond a three-point arc to trust this three-point shot? And then you got guys like Middleton and Drew Holiday who are good players. But everybody associated with that Milwaukee team has their fair share of playoff demons. So if I'm the Nets, I'm not in any way worried about or intimidated by Milwaukee. In fact, Philadelphia would scare me more. Philadelphia would scare me more because of the presence of Joel Embiid in the middle and the fact that, to me, Brooklyn would not have an answer for Joel Embiid. So, tough one for the Nets, but I think the more encouraging sign, quite frankly, if you're a basketball fan, you had high-level, top-notch, quality, back-and-forth, elite-level action. That, to me, was the big takeaway of watching this game on Sunday. It was like, holy smokes. Giannis and Kevin Durant are really good at what they do. What a concept. They actually played little balls-to-the-wall type of action. Speaking of a team that plays balls-to-the-wall, the New York Knickerbockers, and it's business as usual taking out a bad team. That's been the story of the year for the Knicks. They smoke bad teams. Ho-hum, 122-97 over the Eastern Rockets. The Knicks now are eight games over the 500 mark. Eight games over the 500 mark. Randall gives you 31. Efficient from the field. Yeah, basically everybody chipping in. How about Derrick Rose? You know, Derrick Rose has given the Knicks an incredible second half. And I don't think there's any doubt at the end of these games, Rose absolutely is going to be the guard that you want in the game, doing his thing right at the end in crunch time. 8 of eleven, four 4-5 from 3, giving you 24 points. The feel-good ride continues. And I know the Knicks had this daunting... Final stretch of the year where they're basically on the West Coast for a week and a half. They have Denver. They have Phoenix. They have the Clippers. They have the Lakers. They're in the playoffs. But can they play well enough on this trip to remain exactly where they are, which is in that 4-5 spot? That's going to be the key. You don't want to see the Knicks fall out of that 4-5 spot. The question is going to be with a lot of those teams in the West, what kind of effort level are you getting from them at the end of the year? Do those games matter a whole lot? You know, a team like the Lakers, maybe they want to get their guys a little bit more burn, considering they haven't played much over the last few weeks. Then you got other teams saying, uh, seeding, we care. Other teams saying, seeding, well, we don't care as much. The Knicks care. That effort will be there game in and game out. I hope it's good enough to be a 4-5. And I've told you this countless times. If I'm ranking the opponents you're going to play in the playoffs, and right now I think it's one of three, assuming the Knicks are in that 4-5 or matchup, Atlanta, best case scenario. Boston is probably middle of the pack. Worst case scenario is playing Miami. That's my worst nightmare if I'm the Knicks because I don't like their chances in a Miami matchup. I know Tatum just dropped 60-plus points. The Celtics have been such a weird team all year. I'll take that challenge on. So, all in all, good night for the Knicks. Game they could not lose with the schedule they have coming up here over the next couple of weeks. So, good night for the Knickerbockers. Tough night for the Nets. But forget about the win or the loss. I'm more pleased over the fact that Durant looks like Durant. And I expect that to be the guy we see June and July if the Nets are playing deep into this thing. Listen to voicemail time. Let's get right to it. Fire away who's on the horn. Hey,
2: JJ, Nico from the Bay Area here, huge fan of the show. Uh Look, we got Nick's basketball back tonight, baby, love that. But first of all, I want to talk about the Yankees. Game just concluded here. Uh Send that bastard Hinch home, fucking packing. Look, you know, that it's good to get the Yankees back in the win column. Obviously, Cole has been a machine. Uh, You know, we got that great outing from Kluber today. But I want to talk about Chapman. I mean, Chapman, you know, we've had a lot of issues with Chapman in the past, obviously. But, you know... You look at his line today, where it stands. Correct me if I'm wrong, I'm driving by. I believe it's 10 innings pitch, two hits, three walks, 24 strikeouts, no earned runs. I mean, the guy's pitching fantastic. He's a man on a fucking mission, and I love to see it. Love to get your thoughts on it more, JJ. Again, big fan of the show. Thanks again. Bye.
1: Well, I appreciate that, Nico. And you're spot on with everything you said about Araldus Chapman. Aroldis Chapman has been unhittable for the first month of this year. And to me, the big key with Chapman is that he's trusting that splitter he started working on at the end of last year. We've seen it throughout this year, and it's kind of transformed him as a pitcher. Remember, he came up with the Reds. He was like the rare breed of a guy who was throwing 99, 100, 101. Now everybody's throwing that 98, 99 speed, even 100, 101. The splitter has transformed him as a pitcher. He's got to trust it in the playoffs, though, and that is where he has been much maligned each of the last two years. The walk-off to Altuve, the Brasso homer last year against Tampa. You got to see Chapman deliver in October for the Yankees, but so far, so good. Who's next?
0: Hey, JJ, this is Conrad from West Milford. I've called before. I called when you were on the radio. I've called your show now to complain about the Mets and their offense, and you know what? It's my son's birthday. I don't want to go crazy. I'm trying to relax today, but I don't understand how a winning owner, a winning person in life, like he's very successful in business, uh, a a winning general manager, just a person who, who has pride in themselves, a winning coach, a winning anything, can just sit there day after day and watch this offense. I read a stat showing that when Chili Davis took the year off, we had the best offense. He came back, and we have the worst. Now, he might not be the problem, but maybe a sign could be sent by firing him. Send Louis Rojas back down to the minors. Let's get a legitimate, hard-nosed manager up here. I'm not saying go crazy and get a LaRusso who's like 90, but I mean, something, something that's going to give us some juice. I'm not even talking about the Grom anymore. Every single day, I'm just sitting there praying that we get more than two runs, and that's ridiculous. It shouldn't be that way. All of our pitchers should be four or five and O, and we're floundering because the guys can't hit. And I'm not even going to bring up the Lindor contract. It's all together. Nobody can hit, and there seems to be no sense of urgency. What can be done? Please let me know, JJ. Love the show.
1: Well, I appreciate those kind words, Conrad. I mean, they're not changing the players. They just gave Lindor a $340 million contract. And listen, he's been awful to start this year. Awful. Now, he's not alone. Roger Clemens got off to a slow start in New York. Mike Piazza got off to a slow start in New York. Carlos Beltran got off to a slow start in New York. Plenty of big-name baseball players with top notch back of the baseball cards swamped those first 100, 200 at-bats and then found their footing. I expect Lindor to do that. He can't continue to be this bad. Clearly, he left a voicemail after, or before I should say the Mets left, you know, six runs on the board in the top half of the eighth inning. So, things could change with a little sloppy Philadelphia-Philly defense and a couple of big hits. Mets are going to get their offense going. And I don't want to hear about Chili Davis because two years ago when the Mets were hitting like, Crazy, and they had a terrific offensive year. People were raving about Chili Davis. It just goes to show you, hitting coaches, to me, mean a whole lot of nothing. Whole lot of nothing. Who's up next?
5: Hey, Davis this is Milton from Brooklyn. Little recap on my Jets. Super excited about uh, what they've been doing. Uh, let me just go over real quick. They dropped a lot of hybrid players. This is the new thing now. So when they took three safeties today, everybody's like, why three safeties? But they're not actually just safeties. These guys could play linebacker, cornerback. So this is what's the new thing now, getting these hybrid-type players. They also took the running back with the first pick uh, at the start of the day, Michael Carter, speed running back. They added some plays later around a couple of more, you know, cornerbacks. And uh, it's just an exciting thing. They took a DT at the end. I'm not too happy about that because I wanted a kicker from Miami. We definitely need a kicker. But other than that, other than that last pick, it was a great draft. They drafted speed. They drafted people with, um, that are captains, people that are very athletic. So you can see what they're, they're shooting for. They're shooting for guys who can play in different, in different positions and, and, and just be all over the place. So I'm just looking forward to seeing this team just gel into what they're going to build. And that is a very fast athletic team, fun to watch, and I'm looking forward to the future. The Jets are definitely on the way up. Let's go, Jets.
1: Milton fired up, and I know Milton is fired up to be ringing that cowbell Tuesday or Wednesday night at Yankee Stadium, which I cannot wait to hear. Look, I have no idea if Zach Wilson's going to be the truth. I have no idea if Elijah Moore is going to be a stud or Vera Tucker is going to be an offensive lineman with you for the next decade. Here's what I do know. They evaluated their team and said, look, we're not going to make the same mistake that the prior regime made with a young quarterback where they drafted Sam Donald and quite frankly, didn't put a whole lot of resources into the offense. This regime said to hell with that. We're going to take Wilson. We're going to trade off for Vera Tucker. We're going to go and draft more. We're going to get Carter as a speedy running back. We are going to have offensive firepower around this kid. And hopefully it will help him be a successful quarterback. That, Milton, is what you should be fired up about. You're setting up Wilson to have success. Now, the young man with a whole lot of swagger and charisma, he's got to take it from there. Who's next?
6: JJ, hey, it's uh, John from Virginia. Hey, I got to tell you, yesterday I was driving back from visiting my mom in Connecticut, so I had lots of car time, lots of podcast time. God was listening to the Simmons show, where he and his Boston buddies were bitching about, "Oh, poor us, we've had so many terrible draft days." Really, I just wanted to puke. Ugh. Anyway, um, love the trade down the Giants made, and here's why: uh, I'm I'm not a true believer of Daniel Jones at all. So I think having two number ones next year will give them the opportunity to go up and grab a good quarterback, maybe even the best quarterback available uh, next year. And I think that's that's good to not put all their eggs in the uh, Daniel Jones basket. So that's it. Keep up the great work. Love the pod. Uh, thanks, man. Bye-bye.
1: Well, I appreciate that. Listen. With the amount of success that Simmons teams have had over the last 15 years, I understand that point. Nobody wants to hear him belly aching and complain. But then again, I'm a Yankee fan, and there are plenty of times I'm belly aching and complaining. But it's only one of my teams, you know? I've only seen one of my teams win a championship. The Dolphins, the Knicks, not so much. I think you brought up an interesting point with the Giants. Yeah, they're trying to win this year. Yeah, they're trying to set it up in a way that's make or break for Daniel Jones. But I love the fact that with the additional draft capital and the additional draft ammo they have, if indeed Jones does not do the job, you have a couple extra resources to go and either trade up for a quarterback you like, whoever that might be, or maybe it's one of the veteran quarterbacks that potentially could be available. Who knows what the Sean Watson situation is going to be. Who knows what Aaron Rodgers' situation is going to be? Russell Wilson, another, you know, early playoff exit for him. Does he demand to trade once again? You know, he and Ciara would love to be here in New York City. These are things you got to think about. And I don't know if the Giants directly tried to set it up that way with some additional draft capital. Train down the first round, train down the second round. But I, for one, I'm here for it. Who's next? John, Jason from Stony
6: Brook. I am so pumped up about the New York Knicks. I love what's going on. Julius Randle, most improved player. Coach Tibbs is the coach of the year. I'm not worried about any other team. I've never been worried about any other team. My heart is always with the Knicks. I don't care about the Nets. I don't. It's all about New York Knicks basketball. Go, New York. Go, New York. Go. My question to you, John, moving forward, after the season's over, do we make a trade for Damian Lillard? I would love to see it. I'd love to see Lillard in a New York Knicks uniform. I'll give up Nilakina and I'll give up Robinson and some picks. Let's make that happen, too.
5: Thank you. Go,
1: New York. Go, New York. Go. Jason. 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 You are one of the best players in the NBA. And Portland actually decides that they're gonna rebuild their entire organization. You gotta do a lot better than the Frenchman and Mitchell Robinson. Just saying. That ain't gonna be good enough for Damian Lillard. But yes, if indeed Damian Lillard is available, yeah, the Knicks and every other team in the sport should be making a call. Difference maker. And what I love about that guy, he don't make excuses. He is a full-fledged warrior. And he could play for my team any day of the week. You know, in an era in which Guys sit out a ton. And Aaron, which they're joining forces left and right, the fact that he's kind of tried for over a decade to do it his own way in Portland, ton of props for that. Who's on the horn?
0: JJ, what up? It's Brian from Jersey. Um, look, man,
2: uh, I don't really necessarily agree when you said the Knicks were more likable and least and
0: bounds more likable for the casual fan, right? Because everyone on this podcast, we all know how diehard we are about our teams, right? And I get that, you know, as a casual fan, you'd probably be more drawn to all-stars, right? Take Tatis with San Diego, right? They have, like, new fans, of course. Why? Because he's fun, right? So, I mean, when these stars blossom, or frankly, with us, you know, when they came to our team, what's your, what's your take on that? So I want you to maybe clarify that statement, what you made, man. Um, cool. Appreciate it. Thanks.
1: Well, I have no problem clarifying that statement. The Brooklyn Nets are a team full of mercenaries. Let's be honest. Kevin Durant played in OKC in Golden State. Kyrie Irving played in Cleveland and in Boston. James Harden has bounced around OKC in Houston. They're not homegrown Brooklyn Nets. It's kind of one of these super teams that's been put together, but a super team in which there was no chemistry with any of the three guys. Unless you want to go back to Durant and Harden many moons ago with the Thunder. They missed a ton of games. Durant and his sensitivity on social media, I think it's incredibly tough to take. Irving and his hiatuses and whatever the hell he's doing when he's missing time is incredibly tough to take. Harden and the way he executed his exit from Houston, all that's unlikable to me. Sorry. This has nothing to do with me being a Knicks fan or an F fan. How can I root for that team? Unless you are a Brooklyn Net fan or a Jersey Net fan turned Brooklyn Net fan, how do you like that team? For me, it's very, very tough. And the Knicks, I mean, I see a team that was supposed to win 20 games. Eight games over 500. Yeah, that makes you likable. And yes, that makes you very easy to root for. Who's next?
5: J.H., it's John from Long Island. I'm wondering what you think Gary Sanchez's trade value might be at the deadline. I just got home from the stadium, watched Corey Kluber pitch a gem. Look, these guys are very comfortable with Kyle Higashioka. Kyle's getting hits. We may want to make him our everyday starter. Who knows? I just looked it up. Gary Sanchez has two more years of team control left. Maybe we can get another great starting pitcher,
0: and we can include Gary as
5: part of the package. We could get, we could, we could see what's out there. I'm wondering how high you think his value might be right now. Thanks. Bye.
1: Well, I don't think his value is particularly good. Gary Sanchez coming off of Yuri hit 150. And so far, the Yankees have been a better team with Higgy behind the plate. I can't ignore that. He's catching Gary Cole every start. Kuber has been magnificent working with him now in two games in a row. He's probably going to catch Cooper again. Hagee's getting at least 50% of the playing time. So from a trade standpoint, Sanchez ain't getting money. He ain't getting much for Sanchez. Well, what do you think he's getting? You think he's getting some top-notch starting pitcher? Top-notch bullpen arm? This ain't 2017, folks. That version of Gary Sanchez? Long on. He may provide value, but it's going to be in a supporting role for the Yankees. Right now, Higgy needs to play. Simple as that. Who's on the horn next?
2: Hey, JJ, it's Toronto, Long Island. Listen, big fan for a long time. Continued success in the pod.
0: Doing an awesome job. The Islanders clinched the playoffs, the third straight season. Listen, this team never gets any love from the gambling public. They're going to make you a lot of money. Put some money on this year. Last season, the Coliseum, they've been fantastic there so far. So please, please, let's get some hockey going. Let's go, Islanders. This is the year, baby.
1: Later. The Islanders didn't make me a good couple of shekels last year and getting all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, they are probably the most well-coached team in the league. That's how good Barry Trotz has been. Look at the results over the last three years. That team comes to play. That team knows how to execute. They're tough. And I know they've gone through a little skid here. And they've come out of it because they've just beaten up on the Rangers every time they've seen the Rangers. They'll be a tough out. They're going to have to find ways to score goals consistently, but I expect them to be a tough out. Two to go. Who's up? Hey, JJ. This is Joe in Astoria,
2: Yankees Giants Nets fan in that order. I'm just, you know, I'm sick of these other Nets fans that are coming out here complaining that people don't like the team. This, that, the other. Listen, if people don't like our team, fuck them. We win game after game after game. You know, you cannot like the players. That's fine. I can't say I love Kyrie, but I like watching them play ball. This team, when they're all together, has a chance to win the championship. Yeah, the Knicks have been fun to watch. I watch them probably every other game, the Knicks. Fun to watch. The Nets have a chance to win championship. If you're a Nets fan, stop feeling inferior to these Knicks fans. It doesn't fucking matter. We have a chance to win it all. Embrace being the villain. It's more fun that way. Thanks for taking the call, JJ. Love the show.
1: Yeah, I think that's well said. I think if you're an F fan, this infatuation you have with the Knicks has got to stop. I mean, you got a championship caliber team. You're not going to be likable. That's okay. Listen, I rooted for plenty of teams over the years that weren't likable. The Yankees at the end of the 90s. The 2009 Yankees, I mean, plenty of teams. Syracuse, for years with that 2-3 zone, embrace it. Best piece of advice I could give you. Embrace it, take names, and kick ass. That's what you got to do. Last but not least, who's on the horn?
2: JJ, this is Kevin from NIAC. Listen, the draft happened. The Jetsies, you know, they're all gassed up now. We got Jack Wilson. We moved up. We got the, we got the uh, guard for the left side to go along with that team, But I got to say, your boss, Bill Simmons. I love the guy who listens to every fucking podcast, read all his work. I really admire the guy. But God damn it, I got to listen to this fucking guy chuckling with his buddy Hench and, and his old man about Matt Jones and the Patriots. Fuck Matt Jones, that fat bastard. Why are we talking about the Patriots as if they're the fucking dynasty they were? They're not. They let their guy walk. They let Tommy walk. And he won a bowl. They're fucking losers. Let's not act like they're, they're, they're the fucking Don Juan here. They fucking let him walk and he won a bowl. That's embarrassing
1: and they need to be spanked for it. Okay, you got Mac Jones. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Listen, most Jet fans, Dolphin fans, and Bills fans are going to have this all in common. You're all sick and tired. We're all sick and tired of the New England Patriots running amok in the AFC East. That's why 2020 was refreshing. They stunk. They were irrelevant. They weren't any good. They've done something now that Belichick teams don't normally do. They spent a shitload of money in free agency and they drafted a quarterback in the first round. I mean, if I have to see another Tom Brady, Mac Jones comparison, I'm going to need a barf bag. It's nothing personal. It's strictly business. I hope he absolutely stinks. I hope he stinks. Because you know what? The Patriots have seen enough nice things. They've seen enough. I can't have another run now of them having a standard of excellence. Nobody needs that. Nobody. SEC is going to be good. Buffalo, legit Super Bowl contender. Miami, a team that's thinking they're going to go to the playoffs. New England, they're thinking playoffs. Probably with Cam Newton starting the year. And the Jets, listen, this is the instant climb, baby. You can enjoy 2021, hope the quarterback plays well, hope the team is well-coached, and then kind of take it from there. So when we come back, we'll set the stage for what is going to be a very, very interesting week around here and how I have a particular series in mind that I'm all over from a wagering standpoint. We'll wrap it up with a bang. New York, New York, right here. Ringer, Podcast Network. So before we say goodbye, this is going to be a really fun week. You have the Yankees taking on the Astros for the first time since the 2019 American League Championship Series. The only unfortunate element of Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday is that you're only going to have 10,000 Yankee fans hooting and hollering, banging trash cans and whatnot, as opposed to what would be maybe 35, 40,000 if this series was being played in August and September. And I'm telling you two things to lock on right now. Yankees to win the division is at minus 120. This is after the Yankees have played a miserable first month of the year. They're at even money, basically. I am all over that wager. Minus 120, Yankees to win the American League East. Sign me up right now. I'm going to give you another one that I would hop on. And this is for this week. The Yankees to win their respective series against the Astros, the Yankees are going to be dialed in for these couple of games. They can't stand the Astros. They've been counting down a long, long time to have this opportunity. I will be all over that every which way. Yankees, get on them now at 120 to win the AL East. Basically, even money. Yankees to win this series here against Houston. Taking two out of three. And remember, they will have Garrett Cole pitching Thursday afternoon against Lance McCullers. Of course, we're talking beaks. That means this guy's chiming in. Jeff Money in the house. What up, Money?
2: Hey JJ, Jeff Money here with a handicap picks. This is going to be for Monday, May the 3rd. We had another winning week. We're going to keep, let's keep the streak alive. So I got one play fee in Major League Baseball. I'm going to take the uh, Los Angeles Angels minus the 105. Versus the Rays, or Tommy versus Glasnow. Now, I think it's going to come down to the bullpen. The Angels at home they have a 3.89 ERA versus the Rays on the road 6.30. They're going to get coming back now for their home cooking. Rays are coming from home going on the uh, road there. So, yeah, I like, I like it and I like the way the Angels have been playing as of late. They're on a nice winning streak there. And so, again, I'm going to take the Anaheim Angels minus the
6: 105. All right, JJ, out of here. Let's go.
1: Jeff Money, my man, very, very tough game to handicap because you have Tampa Bay getting on a flight, leaving the trop, going to play, you know, on a West Coast trip. I always am uneasy about how teams are going to handle that. And the Angels with Otani, you don't know how many pitches, you don't know what kind of restrictions you're dealing with. That is a complete stay away for me. Complete stay away. I will be looking into, for tomorrow night, the Oakland A's. That will be a game that I have circled. Steven Matsu's gotten off to a hot start against Montez. I will be playing Oakland minus the 125. That line's gone up about 15 points, so I'm all over that. Fun addition to New York, New York. Yankees Astro is going to be a ton of fun this week. I'm dialed into that. We have you covered every which way as we move closer and closer to the NBA and the NHL playoffs. Enjoy your Monday. We're back Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, and it's going to be a late one because I'm going to be at the Yankee game. I'll have a nice report for the sort of heckling and extracurriculars you might get from the Bronx faithful. All the shenanigans that are going to be at store at Yankee Stadium. Uh, terrific work, fellas. Surudi, RL, fabulous, fabulous job. Until then, JJ signing off. Be good, everybody.